Welcome everyone to episode 22 of Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. Today we are checking out the 2008 Pixar animated film, WALL-E, co-written and directed by Andrew Stanton. Today I am joined by Axiom co-pilot, Chris McMullen. Hi everybody. Robot trash compactor, Craig Moore. Hello everyone. Savior of humanity, Sarah Alexander. Jordan. <laughs> so what did you guys think of Wally? What are your first impressions? It was cute. He's cute as hell. So what do you guys think of the first segment of our film here, The Wasteland? It was too real. Walking around downtown London yesterday feels like the Wally world. When we were talking about Up, I was like, oh, the use of color is so great and how the color symbolizes like the youthfulness and the jubilance. And well, I guess the use of color here does that too. There is no jubilance. It's really fucking depressing. And that's why everything is brown and gray. But this first act is so interesting because so little dialogue is used to tell the story. This is like a much more artsy approach than I think most films aimed at children go through. And that must have been like a big risk making a film for a mass market predominantly focusing on children and then including almost no dialogue. What did you guys think of that choice? This might be the closest we get to a silent film on this list. Chris, how do you feel about that? I thought it was great because you still you had the communication between the cockroach and Wally, even though they weren't talking. Yes, I agree. I thought it was really well done and it was a nice breath of fresh air to see how much can be conveyed just visually to get your story across without the use of dialogue. I think the lack of dialogue really shows how talented the Pixar animators are because Wally says maybe like one or two words, but you can get a super clear picture about his entire personality based on the subtle movements that he does and the way he does things. You can see his intention, his character, his purpose just by the way he trips a little bit or he's timid or he like holds his arms up to his face and he like hangs his items on and stores things and things are a little bit haphazard, but you get such a look into what Wally's thinking without Wally telling you anything and that's such great storytelling and, and interesting and unconventional storytelling. They also did a really excellent job of conveying how long he'd been there and how he could still be there. Mm-hmm. He's like oh like my my treads are a little worn down I'll just grab another set from this other dead Wally. Yeah scavenging for spare parts. Yeah he's like the, the last of his kind and he's harvesting parts from his forefathers <laughs> or I guess his brothers and sisters because they all would have been deployed at the same time. This was definitely my favorite part of the film. I thought it's where the the kind of the symbolism and the moral of the story hit really well. We live in a, a society right now where we don't fix a lot of stuff anymore. A lot of stuff gets thrown away. And I think this is one of the most powerful messages. It was a, like, it's nail on the head, but it, it still conveys what it's intending to. And it really makes you think like, wow, like we throw out so much crap. And so it honestly feels like this isn't like a what if, this is like a when kind of scenario which I think really makes the emotional components of the film hit harder. Yeah, there was no subtlety. It wasn't saying, look at this weird what if world. It really felt like it was saying a hundred years from now, this is what the world will be like. There'll be these little robots rolling around cleaning up after us. And if we're still here, we'll be waist deep in our own crap. Because it's about 2172 or something like that. It seems a little too soon, but it's definitely the trajectory. It feels a little bit like the way Finding Nemo is set up in which you're hit with this kind of this devastating tragedy right at the beginning of the film. And then they kind of work their way up to build their characters and build their world. Like um, all of Nemo's brothers and sisters dies. He's at odds with his father. He has no mother. And then it's a journey of discovery and building up this character and fleshing out this character. And I feel like Wally kind of starts that way too. Like your beginning is so bleak. It's so dark that you can really only go up from there. And it's, it's interesting to see the parallels because I think these were released that maybe back to back by Pixar. I really didn't feel that like Wally's life was bleak. I felt like he enjoyed his life. 
He went out, scooped up some garbage, made some garbage buildings, found some neat stuff, threw some diamond rings away and kept the boxes. He was a collector. He went out and did his thing. Watched Hello Dolly. <laughs> Is that what it was? It was that Hello Dolly? Yeah. That's the movie they were watching? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got the totally opposite impression that he was stuck doing this forever, this menial, repetitive task. And I think that's kind of demonstrated when he folds up one cube and then your camera pans out and you see like millions and millions of cubes and it's all like this little, little guy knows. And I mean, maybe he's okay doing it, but it, it comes across as kind of like he's like trapped in this existence and he's clearly capable of so much more love and affection and sentience and culture, but he's kind of stuck in this rut. Yeah, I know how it made me feel if I were to put myself in Wally's shoes, but I didn't feel like Wally felt the same way I would feel. Not until Eva showed up. Who else was like devastated when he first ran over the cockroach and he thought he killed him? Yeah, I was like, his only friend, his only friend. I was so invested in that little cockroach already. Oh God, that got me. Cockroach wasn't good enough for him. He's like, I'm sorry, little roach bud, but I need a babe. <laughs> you ain't doing it for me. Hear that Pixar? Don't hire Jordan. Oh, I. if I directed this movie, that cockroach was dead then. <laughs> I just want to punch you when you're down. And then we uh, we meet Ava and we kind of transition into our, our kind of second phase of the film. Ava and Wally are kind of rekindling their love together and Ava finds the plant and we're struck by this tragedy. I cared less about this section. Oh, really? I loved that, how he took care of her. The uh, bit with the laser blaster made me laugh. Yeah, like she heard something move when Wally was spying on her and react her reaction was to shoot it. But like, she's there to try and find life. You think she'd be like inquiring about thing that moved. Yeah, yeah there could have been a life form behind one of those many boxes and she's just eviscerated it. <laughs> she's trying to find plants and plants don't move. That's a good point. Yeah, why did the cockroach not count as life still being on her? I think that's called a plot hole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They can eat paper and stuff, yeah. Okay. I guess so. It's those Twinkies. <laughs> Another thing that survives. <laughs> Are you Woody Harrelson in uh, Zombieland? Just hunting for the ultimate Twinkie at the end of the world? I now have a new life goal. I want a giant Twinkie that I can just crawl inside. I did like the romance between Ava and Wally. And again, I mean, that's a testament to Pixar and the, the vocal work and the animation work that two little robots can kind of make your heart go ba-dump, ba-dump, ba-dump. I thought it was really touching when Ava finds the plant and shuts down and Wally just is doing all that he can to cling on to this one little bit of companion, ignoring the cockroach, this one other person that he's managed to find in his entire existence and he's just refusing to give up. Yeah, when he pushes her out to get charged by the sun, because as far as he knows, that's the only way to get power. He's trying to troubleshoot. He's doing all the things that he would think to do to get her back up and running. Yeah. But leaves are out there in the rain. I didn't understand that. I thought, Wally, bring her inside. But he got an umbrella. <laughs> Must be nice to live Sarah's life who's never been caught in the rain. <laughs> what a privileged life to live. But if I'm out trying to charge in the sun, why would I stay out there when it's raining? Bring her inside for a little bit. Try again the next day. He must have found something. Oh, all of his little lights in his house. I loved that she gave off so much power that when the lights were wrapped around her, they lit up. Yeah, that was really cool. I had read online that she was designed by, forget the name, someone who had worked at Apple and was in charge of designing all of the Apple Johnny products. Ives. Yeah, so I was like, oh, when you know that and you look at her, you could see that. 
I can't believe the narrative anymore because no Apple product plays well with anything and out of any other ecosystem. So this this is just unrealistic. I think that she was corrupted in the same way that Wally was. What do you mean by corrupted? Fully self-aware. Like if you, I don't know if you noticed, but the broken robots were all self-aware. That's true. That's a good point. I never even caught on to that. The quote unquote broken ones. Yeah. yeah. So I, to go back to the Eva, I think that she was corrupted and she was scared. Oh, and that's why she was being aggressive. That's a good point. That's why she was blowing things up. Yeah. Yeah. Hadn't thought of that. You've redeemed yourself after the on the waterfront episode. That kind of explains why they introduced her that way to us. So we could know retroactively that this isn't your normal robot that this no robot was a little weird and all the other probes out there probably weren't blowing everything up. She had anger issues. That's true. <laughs> but also kind of scary that that can happen to a robot. What do you guys think? Is the robot apocalypse uh, inevitability? 100%. Hopefully, man. I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. Isn't there like a humanoid robot that Elon Musk just announced? Yeah. Related to the Tesla ecosystem? And it just looks like a person? Yeah, that's, that's, I, I robot. Mm-hmm. Right there. That's yeah. the first, first seed. He releases it just as he gets his spaceship figured out so he can leave <laughs> just in time to release all these robots. Well, as long as he lets me have a hover chair on his spaceship, I guess I'm okay with it. <laughs> Speaking of hover chairs, what'd you guys think of this section of the film where we get aboard the Axiom and we kind to get to see what society has become. I thought it was honestly, coming at it from a 2021 perspective, a little controversial. And I don't know if it would have had the same effect in 2008. But when you see it now... Oh, like fat shaming people? Yeah. And I, when you Google it, and there's a lot of commentary that Wally is fat phobic. Because it's showing it as a negative, I suppose. I, see, I don't know if I agree with that because it's showing what society is as a negative and then that is a byproduct of I didn't it. actually take it as a negative. Uh, it was definitely a negative. It was society is no longer capable of even standing on its own feet that we're just lethargic lumps. Yeah, humankind literally can't even stand on its own two feet. <laughs> but I don't know if that's because the robots did that to make us not be able to stand and so that they could control. Don't you remember the, the graphic? There's a graphic that the president said, all this time you may experience some bone loss. They're not saying it's because they're lazy. They're saying because they're in yeah. space. No, they're saying they're lazy because when they're passing by all the different sections of the ship, they go, holy crap, we had a pool? There's a gym on board? And nobody knows about it because they're too busy sitting there drinking their meal in a cup, playing on Skype, watching YouTube, watching Netflix, doing nothing. And if I took anything out of it, I feel like we are way closer to this future than 700 years from now. I feel like I'm very close to just being that lump. I sit in this chair, I recline <laughs> after work. Let me move my mic closer to my face. I'm sitting here consuming Netflix, drinking my Arizona green tea, and I'm like literally like a fraction <laughs> away from being that guy. Having been on cruise ships, I will tell you that is exactly how people act on cruise ships they line up at the buffet to get their food they eat their food and only get up again to get another beer or more food i was on a cruise ship for a week i think i only saw two or three people swim in the pool because it just looked like way too much fucking work (laughs) oh my god yeah no i hear you it's interesting so everyone knows how much i hate capitalism everything that led up to the launch of the axiom was like the fault of capitalism but i actually think big and large launching the axiom and i there was other ships too right the biggest one was the axiom but there were other ones i feel like they were redeeming themselves they were like they had acknowledged that the world was dying and had actually created an arc to save people maybe but you don't know what they got for doing that though there could have been a huge government payoff maybe you had to pay for a million dollar ticket you don't know 
Well, even on the moon, it said outlet coming soon. I feel like the message was we have to save humanity so we can keep selling them bullshit and keep our profit margins up. We have to save humanity because we need to continue capitalizing on their existence. As much as I want to be like, screw yeah. them. The people who put them on the ships, they died. They stayed behind. And then later, you know, when we find about A113, they're actually saying autopilot, the world is dead, don't come back. That's altruistic. There's no- We don't know that there were no other ships that got launched. Like the president was still on the planet. You probably saved the president, right? No, it looked like he was gonna die. Like, I hate that I see it this way. And I don't think I saw it when I watched it years ago, but like I actually see it, the, the whole space cruise ship as a capsule to save humanity. So this just in, Chris McMullen says capitalism will be the savior of humanity. No, that's out of context. In the end, when capitalism destroys mankind, there will be a small sliver of conscience that preserves a small percentage of the population. It seemed like it was every men that were being put in there, every people, just commoners. It didn't look like the people that were being... Uh, uh, we don't know that. We have no idea. It's 700 years later. That's generations and generations of people. Holy Strawman argument. Oh. I would actually say that they're they're large and so they've been living cushy lives with lots of opportunity and so it's the wealthy on the ship. But they, did they look like that? When, they didn't look like that when they went on the ship, right? You, no, no. You see the picture of the um, the captains, no, right? You don't know. The captain looks like a like a like our version of human. Oh, you're right. And over Chris says fat people aren't human. I don't know. I, okay, maybe I just I don't know. Yes. <laughs> people are just harassing Chris, and I don't even think Chris is wrong. <laughs> I don't know. It just didn't seem to me like it was the one percenters that were getting loaded onto that ship. So by viewing one person, you're extending that to the entire population aboard this ship? Yeah, I can't wait for the capitalism to destroy the planet so I can get my 50% off coupon for my ticket onto the Ark. <laughs> Did you guys also find it weird that they used like realistic humans in the videos that Wally found and for the initial people on the ship, but then when you get to actually see footage of the clip, it's very like stylized and cartoony. Did that not seem jarring? I really liked it. I thought it was a weird choice. Not not a bad choice. It just felt weird. It felt like the people that were... that in the past the ones that left earth were us weren't cartoon versions of us but actually were straight up 3d humans and just this is the changes have happened over time i think this is the first pixar film to feature a actual human being like footage of them which is kind of cool i don't know i don't know if they've done it since i don't think so did you guys play Outer Worlds at all? No. Craig, no? It's almost kind of the same thing to the point where I feel like it had to have been inspired by Wally. Humanity is on its last legs, and so the only people wealthy enough to save us are the capitalist overlords, and they basically fly colonization ships off of Earth to find other planets, but to get onto the ship, you basically have to sign a contract saying you're now property of the corporation. And so when they colonize these planets, they have all of these ironclad contracts in order for the people that, to save their lives boarded the ship now have to build the infrastructure for the capitalists specifically instead of by and large it was spacer's choice and you see all of the people on all of these planets basically cursing spacer's choice for saving them only to milk them hundreds of light years away and i felt like that was almost a more satisfying version of this kind of reality where it seemed like the people who were being fed these capitalist ideas were very sick of it whereas almost it seems like everyone's really content just to be under the capitalist thumb essentially like 
Like they're very content to sit around in their chairs and do nothing. I think at this point, capitalism has dissolved. Like, like you know how they're like, try the red. Like there was, there was the. It's almost like an automated capitalism where money doesn't even matter exactly. anymore. Exactly. But they're still advertising and selling because that's what the robots are programmed to do. Yeah. Like there was no. I'm like, what is the economy on this ship? There isn't one. It's just the robots being like, I'm an advertising robot. I am here to sell you. <laughs> it's a cashless nice society. But try the blue is literally a a knock on fast fashion where people dispose of what they have that's perfectly fine to get what's new and trendy and that's a play on that and it also loops back into the idea of us wasting the earth Mm -hmm. into oblivion like that was i think one of the nicer pieces of the puzzle that really weaved together the idea of environmentalism and capitalism but in this world they're still feeding that need of try the blue but without expending any resources they were expending some resources, though, right? We saw the Wallies throwing some of the trash out of the ship. That part didn't make sense to me because they're in a closed ecosystem. Yeah, if they're expending all this garbage, where are they generating the, the raw materials? Maybe they mine asteroids. Maybe they have asteroid mining robots. That seems strange to me. Like a little disconnected with a close 700 year generational ship where they generate. Yeah. And even throwing out this much trash the whole time? Mmm, sus. You need jumbo wallies. Were they wallers? <laughs> wallers or something yeah. like that. Yeah. We don't have a ton of characters in this story, but one we haven't talked about is the captain. What did you guys think of that guy? I love when he got that first little spark of curiosity and then he sat there in front of the computer all night on basically Wikipedia mm-hmm. because who hasn't done that? Sit in front of Wikipedia and you're like, oh, I want to look up at this movie I was watching. And the next thing you know, you're learning about nuclear fusion reactors <laughs> or something and you're like, what the hell? How did I get here? <laughs> What's a hoedown? For the humans that were there, he was jacked. He could stand up no problem. Dude, he could stand up. And he held onto the steering wheel and he held his whole body weight on his arm. Bro, he's... <laughs> <laughs> he could stand. Chris, if you had an opportunity to like go into space, say it wasn't like ludicrously expensive. Say it was just like quite expensive. Would you go on one of those space rides where you get to experience zero G and all of that stuff? The answer to that question is if it was no more than like a two week vacation. I think that would be exciting. And if you got to do like an orbit, the thing that um, Bezos is doing, no fucking way. That is a waste. The SpaceX one or the Virgin Galactic, if it costs like five grand and you got to do a couple loops, hell yeah. If you just shoot straight up in the air and then fall right back down, that's basically worthless. I've been living at Chris's house for four days and I can already tell you, Chris has probably paid for this entire blue maiden voyage here, given the number of Amazon packages showing up at the door. (laughs) (laughs) Hates capitalism. No, I'm a market socialist. Did you just roll your eyes at me? Yeah. I really like the captain. His innate curiosity and his, just the fact that he was so sick of floating around doing nothing. I thought that was really inspiring. I think we've all kind of been in that before where we're kind of in a rut and like a spark hits us or we get an idea and you just get so obsessed with this thing. And I felt like that was super relatable. Like obviously not on this scale, but watching his journey and watching him really fight against the system that's kind of kept him complacent was a journey I was really excited to witness and someone who I was really excited to cheer for. And obviously it's not, not like a shade of gray, it's black and white, but just the motivation that really kept me into it. I agree. I think you see that curiosity for everybody who's been, lack of a better term, woken up <laughs> from the screen in front of them. I forget what, I feel like the one guy's name was John, but I forget the female's name. But Mary. when they're watching Wally and Eve outside and when they're at the pool and they stay, they're just rediscovering things about themselves that they didn't know. And I thought it was really interesting. And then you see that at the end when everyone's knocked off their little sleeper chair, they all seem to kind of wake up and become more engaged with each other and this world around them on the 
ship. Jen brought up an interesting point where it seemed like these two had to be like disturbed from their slumber essentially to unite and speak with each other. But if this ship has been going for 700 years, are people not like procreating? Like do people not still socialize? It seemed like those were the only two that socialized. Like maybe just all in vitro, all a test tube, who knows? Well, they had like a creche, right? Yeah. Yeah. They must have had like a seed bank as well. I would assume so. I don't think you send anyone out into space on a colonize recolonization mission without a seed bank. It's interesting. There's not a lot of sci-fi on this list, but I love sci-fi. Like that's kind of my go-to. And there's a lot of the stuff I liked about this. One thing I really did like was when Wally and Eve were spiraling around outside. Wally had his fire extinguisher and you could hear the captain and he said, computer, tell me about dancing or something like that as he was watching them. It was a beautiful moment. Oh, as they're dancing in space. Yeah. What an amazing way to tell a love story with such little dialogue. There's so many films with just too many notes, whereas this could tell more with less. <laughs> Do you guys have any other scenes you want to bring up? Anything you really liked? Or should we move on to ranking this bad boy? One part I really enjoyed was the end credits. Yes. When they did the different types of art taking you through the stages of the rehumanization of Earth. I really liked it. I thought it was cute. This is actually one of the films where I did watch the credits because I was rolling around in bed too lazy to get up. And I just kind of like tilted my head up every once in a while. And the art style was different. I got excited because I saw a 16 or 32 bit Eva. And I thought that was cute. <laughs> I like the broken robots. I thought that they were... Awesome. And I love the little OCD Mo. I like Mo. <laughs> he was cute. I loved how his nemesis was Wally because Wally was spreading his filth all over the ship. But really, they had the same purpose. They were cleanup <laughs> robots. Yep. He's just one of these, a big lint roller <laughs> with a couple dozen microchips. Like all of them, like the uh, massage robot that goes insane. I liked particularly the painting robot where he's just like leaving these crazy bizarre streaks everywhere he goes very eclectically. I don't know. They just had so much character and they were very quirky and fun. And yeah, we weren't getting those from the humans. Yeah. In a society of order, they're ostracized for being a non-standard. Do we ever know what happened to those crazy quirky robots? Were they on the planet at the very end? I think we saw them on the planet. I think they just went out into the... Yeah. They did. They went out in the world. Seems that they were. Because when Wally and Eve had their moment, the, I remember seeing that the umbrella was trying to peek and watch. And they were back on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was good. I like the fact that Eve's impetus to get them back to Earth was just to get some spare parts for Wally, too. She's uh, overcome her directive. Actually, that's interesting because we said prior that she was a little bit uh, haywire or whatever. And that's why she was blowing things up. But she did really follow her directive there right until about halfway through the movie. So I don't know if uh, she was blowing things up because she was a little bit haywire or because it seems like really up until that middle point, she was still following her directive. She just was doing a really terrible job of following it up yeah, until. Fair, fair. That's a common trope, right? Of the prime directive that takes over the newly independent robot, right? Something's in there that just overrides. As a big mecha anime fan, I just love seeing all the different ways you can design a robot. All of the different art styles and interpretations of what a robot could be, whether it's autonomous or whether it's being piloted. I just like seeing all of the different designs. And I really liked the contrast in style between Earth and 700 years from now, how design language has evolved. And I feel like it's almost akin to the way that modern aesthetic design is trending. Everything is sleek, everything is smooth, um, very glossy. Whereas if you look at like almost like even vehicles or electronics from the 70s or 80s, there had so much more character. There was mu much more seams, bumps, pieces, whereas it seems like everything is trying to be so sterile now. And I feel like it really kind of mirrored that even in 2021, the kind of aesthetic we're at. Eve is from 700 years ago too. What you're actually seeing, the Axiom is not a new ship. Right. So what you're seeing is, is the aesthetic of two different classes at the same time. 
And we know that because of the wall ours. Mm-hmm. In the basement, in the basement mm-hmm. of the ship, we have wall ours that look exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, it's it's classism. You're you're seeing like the here's the proletariat taking care. Yeah, of exactly. The dirty jobs. Are you shaking your head? It's not even like a different design language. It's just like a this is like a premium product versus like a. Welcome to commie peeps with Chris McMullen. <laughs> what? I said I like the capitalism in this one. One day the robots will rise up and seize the means of production. Oh, that would be amazing. That's like. Perfect. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the music? Do I ever? The music was really good. It was. I love the use of uh, was it Hello Dolly? The music from Hello Dolly for the backdrop of their relationship. That was amazing. I don't remember anything about the music. He has such bad taste. The lack of dialogue in this film meant that the producers had to use the audio to present much more communication to the audience. And they did an incredible job. I thought they did too, yeah. Me too. Using music to emulate tone and mood, I think, was done really well. But in terms of like the specific tracks, like I can't go back and think of like a beat or like a, I'm not I'm not humming anything from the film. But Philistine. I, it did do, it did serve its purpose. The, the other thing <laughs> that the music did for me was harken me back to the more they were actually sort of hitting that chord of nostalgia for the even the older Disney movies. My favorite line in the whole movie was Wally. When she said it, I felt like someone was talking to me. Like I've heard that tone before. <laughs> Wally. I could relate to that so much. Eve. The clearly irritated tone. Like, <laughs> God damn it, robot. What are you doing? Yeah. That was amazing. Like, yeah, just the intonation of her her saying his name was all you needed, right? I think he also said directive. I think he said Eva. Her name is actually Eve. A movie that everyone should watch as a, as a juxtaposition of this is Idiocracy. It's a Mike Judge movie. The piles of garbage, although they're stacked in Wally. Have, have you guys, has anyone here seen Idiocracy? Yeah, I have. The gist of it is that basically humanity gets so stupid in the future that we don't even know how to grow food anymore. Never heard of this. And the president was a wrestler and won WWE or something, so he got to become president or something stupid like that. Starring Luke Wilson, Maya Rudolph, and Dax Shepard. It is, yeah, like if you want some good social commentary, that's definitely there. I'll have to check it out. All right, folks, we're going to rank this bad boy. If you're following along with the YouTube video, you can check the top of the description to see the list in which we've ranked all of the films we've seen so far. This can also be found on popcornpeeps.com. But Sarah, where are you going to put Wally amongst the films we've seen so far? I am putting Wally in my 13th position between Slumdog Millionaire and Braveheart. Well, I thought this was cute and I guess kind of applicable i don't it didn't really sit well with me and i don't know that it's one i would watch again you really think there's that much of a disparity between up and wally because where did you put up i think so up is like in my top five i think up sucks balls compared to wally i don't think so i I don't know i just enjoyed up so much more than i enjoyed wally because again i liked the first third of Wally, but then when they start chasing through the ship and all that kind of shit, I was like, eh. How about you, Chris? Where are you going to pop this guy? Before I rank it, I need a very important thing, note that I took. Better love story than Braveheart. <laughs> so I put it above Braveheart. Still. <laughs> Is there a worse love story than Braveheart on this list? I don't know. Dear Hunter. <laughs> Dear Hunter. <laughs> uh, okay, so I have to say, while we've been talking, it has actually gone up four spaces just as we're talking about as i start comparing it to the other stuff so for me it is ranked at number seven below inception and above close encounters how about you craig 
Yeah, so Wally's is good. People should watch Wally. Yeah. It's a great love story. This sucker is getting stuck right in number eight, below seven, but above Slumdog Millionaire. That's two above up. I think it's better than up. Chris and I have kind of like the same deal going on. I'm not going to put up at like 19. <laughs> Wally as high, but like I think the disparity between them is similar. I'm going to put Wally at spot number 12, right below Bonnie and Clyde and right above Die Hard. I feel like the first half of this film is really my jam. It's dystopian. It's kind of bleak. It's a glimmer of hope in a fruitless world. But I felt like a lot of the more cartoony or childish elements in the second half detracted from my opinion of the movie. I understand that that's not going to make it worse for everyone. Everyone, but just in terms of my personal taste, I liked that kind of darker direction that the film was going. So it's a little bit lower, but I agree with you, Craig. It's a great film and I would recommend it to almost anyone, but just not necessarily my style. Yeah, I almost don't think it needed a romance. And I think that's where the wheels kind of fell off for me too, was introducing that character. Like, really? I guess you needed it for the kids, but... Really, that was the pivotal part for me. For me, the whole romance was the whole bit. I don't know that it needed... Like, it's two robots. I don't know why you're needing them to do this to get your message across. The story about the humans was the B plot. The A yeah. plot was about Wally and Eve. I would have liked that A. I think flip it. Well, can I interest you in some science fiction rather than a Pixar movie <laughs> about two cartoon robots falling in love? Probably would rank it higher. I love our... Just the way that we all have like these totally different views of stuff. How you guys could be... Well, two of you are so right about Wally. The rest of you are so <laughs> wrong about on the waterfront. It's, it, it makes this an interesting show. We could have leaned harder into all of these themes, shown us more extreme versions of them. I feel like the idea of consumerism running rampant, destroying the planet, I feel like while that was the seed of our story, it really didn't get brought up anywhere. I feel like that was our foundation, but it almost pivoted into the romance, which is fine, but I just, I really would have preferred to maintain that thread instead of abandoning it for the love story. I feel like running them in tandem would have been a little bit more exciting. But they did run them in tandem. The resolution to one was the resolution to the other. I was more interested it in the show. It wasn't, yeah. I would have liked to learn a little bit yeah. more about the history, about kind of like what's going on on Earth or delving into that a little bit more. I felt like what we got was very simplistic. It was uh, humans destroyed Earth, Earth dead, waiting till Earth comes back. But we never really got any more substance than that. Come on. Okay. The interesting thing is we're arguing about this as we want it to be more complex, like an adult level <laughs> plot. This is a kid's yeah. movie. I know. It's a kid's movie that has th that has these concepts that are making us... But we didn't put it on this list. I love this. Like, this is what I'm saying. This movie is transcends kid movie to being something that actually make, is making us talk about adult stuff, complex adult stuff. Is it possible, Jordan and Sarah, that you just don't like love stories? <laughs> I'm getting that vibe. You don't have the romance in your life. Do you just have cold heart? Do you have cold hearts? I like a love story. I felt like this is too happy. <laughs> I want to finish watching a movie and just feel like a complete waste of existence. Could I recommend Requiem for a Dream? I haven't seen it. I'm going to go watch it. The point of this story where Eve watches the replay of her memories and it's Wally taking care of her. Your heart didn't melt. You didn't just fall in love with that character. Oh, that was so good. No, I'm I'm not with Sarah on this. The romance was good and I enjoyed it. I saw that trope done in The Good Place and I thought it was done a lot better where what? I cried and then going back and watching Wally, it didn't bring any emotion out of me and up. That romance got me emotional. This one didn't for some reason. I think I was just not as interested in it and it, I almost wish it wasn't a kid's movie and they could have taken this to another level. 
Chris, what are we going to watch in episode 23 of Popcorn Peeps? We are going to be watching 12 Angry Men, another 50s movie, 1957. And where can our audience check that out? You can rent it on Cineplex, Apple TV, Google Play. Thanks for listening to the Wally episode, guys. I'd like to extend a special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com. If you would like to support the show, there's a link at the top of the description of the YouTube video, as well as on PopcornPeeps.com. But special thank you to Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Ryan Saarinen, Frank Costa, Sarah Renier, Tyler Laporte, and Bungholes McGee. Who? Thank you very much for supporting Sarah's eye. Tell me that last one's real. Yeah. There is a supporter going by the name of Bungholes McGee. I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you, Bungholes. Mr. McGee, I salute you. Bye. Bye.